All right, I think we're all set now. So hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim R. And today we have Tony W. on the show. How are you doing, Tony? Doing real good today. All right, I'm glad to hear that. So we were just talking that you're from Indiana, right? Yes. All right, and you were born and raised in the same town that you Uh live right now today. Yes. So tell us a little bit about growing up there. Well, um, I was born in the the 50s, so I'm up there a bit. Um, I had really a wonderful childhood. Uh, I grew up uh, upper middle class. My father was a surgeon. My mother was a nurse. I had three older siblings. Uh, My childhood was great, with the exception of sexual abuse that started when I was eight and continued until I was 13. And I just sort of shoved that all back. Uh, never thought about it, never discussed it with anyone. Uh, that did not come out until I started therapy in my late 20s. Who was the abuser? It was a family member. It was a close family, like in the, yeah. in the same house as you? No, actually an older sibling. Okay. So do you see that affecting your childhood a lot? How- uh, not really my childhood because I just suppressed it so much. But I think it affected my self-esteem a lot. I think it was primarily the reason for a lot of my depression and my diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. So you think a lot of that or most of it or maybe all of it developed as a result of the sexual abuse? Yes. And what was the reason it stopped? Did anything happen in particular or? He went off to college. Okay. So that's the only reason it stopped because he left. Right. So what was it like being young in school when all that was going on? Did you ever tell any other children or was there anything in particular that was happening? I didn't speak about it until I started therapy in my late 20s to my therapist. I didn't to anyone I was too embarrassed and to be honest I only thought about it when when it was happening at the time um I just suppressed it I just crushed it down but my self-esteem was really struggling at the time because I you know I felt victimized my question that always went through my head was why me why me why me Do you remember a reason for you not telling anybody? I was too embarrassed. Uh, I was, you know, it was it was catastrophic when it was happening. Um, and I just, you know, back at this was back in the, you know, in the early 60s. And it was something that was never discussed, never brought up. Um, and I thought I was the only one in the world going through it. I didn't think anybody would understand. I didn't feel like anybody was going to protect me. So I never brought it up. So you said it affected your self-esteem. How did you get along with other children growing up? Uh, I had three older brothers. And to be honest, I never was real. I was close to one of them in particular. Actually, I, I felt closer to him than I did the others. They were off in their own little world. Um, all three of them 
had their own group of friends and we just were not that close growing up. I had my friends, they had their friends, they did their thing and I did mine. We just weren't a real tight knit family growing up. How is your social life growing up in, in school with friends? Good. I had, I always had about two or three really close friends growing up. So in fact, I'm this day. You said you're still friends with them till this day? Yeah. That is, that's amazing. Yeah. That's an amazing, it's, it's hard to find friends that are worth keeping around that long. Yeah. At we, least in my world. I guess I, that might sound pessimistic, but unfortunately for me, I guess that's kind of the way I live. Uh-huh. But I do yeah. have a few friends that are, I consider, lifetime friends. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I still have that support nowadays. Yeah, especially for an addict to have any type of support system is great. Right. And they all know my story. They all know what I've been through. Yeah. So... What age were you the first time you picked up any type of drug or alcohol? Uh, I was about 16. Um, I started drinking whiskey and Coke, uh, cherry vodka and Coke, Boone's Farm. That was the big drink back then was the Boone's Farm. It yeah. had just And uh, it was a weekend thing. I drank on the weekends with uh, a guy that I was kind of seeing. And then one of my friends who I still associate with on Facebook and her boyfriend, we would go to the drive-in theater and just drink, you know, drink at the drive-in. So, but that's what I started out with was alcohol. It was alcohol. Mm -hmm. Well, it was the sixties. So were there any types of things like, like uh, obviously marijuana and yeah. when I, when I think sixties, I kind of think acid and the whole psychedelic scene. Yep, that was the second thing I tried was a uh, was an acid called Orange Sunshine. Orange Sunshine. Yeah, and it was it was bad, and that was awful. Um, I took a I took a half of what's called a four way hit, and it was I got violently ill. The trip was awful. I, I and I have not I didn't touch acid since. This is when I was a sophomore in high school. And I swore up and down I'll, I would never do it again. And I have not done hallucinogen since. It was horrible. So <laughs> I learned my lesson on that one. That's good. But I did smoke quite a bit of pot. Now, back, to, back then, it wasn't any good. It was what we call dirt weed, you know, Mexican. Well, yeah, we have that nowadays also. Yeah, yeah. It was bad. Um, and then after I graduated high school, I started, uh, my father would get these samples of, um, of, uh, barbiturates and stimulants from the drug reps. Are you there? Yes, I'm still here. Okay. Um, he would oh, sorry, I clicked off accidentally. Okay. He would get samples of all these different barbiturates, sedatives, sleeping pills, and amphetamines from the drug reps. Back in the 60s, you know, before this stuff was really monitored and uh, scheduled, it, they'd come in boxes with 
strips and strips. And when I got to college, I started basically stealing these and taking them back to college, abusing uh, the amphetamines to study for college, uh, pretty much just on weekends. It was more of a recreational thing for me, but it was just, it was a massive amount of pills that I was stealing out of, out of the cupboard. You know, he didn't keep it locked up or anything. And don't think he ever really knew that I was taking all this stuff. Do you remember exactly what type of pills you were taking? Yeah, can I can I go ahead and name them? Yeah, that's fine, of course. Okay. Second all, two and all, Demitol, um, Quaaludes, uh, Librium, Valium, uh, were the were the uh, downers. Now back in the day, you could get prescriptions of, of the barbiturates. Nowadays you cannot. You can only get that administered in the hospital. But anyway, um, the stimulants were preluding, tenuate dose fan, dexedrine, and black beauties, which is bifetamine. Um, and then there was uh, Tylenol number three. He didn't have hydrocodone, but he had Tylenol number three and Darvon. You know, Darvon's been taken off the market. So that's about, what, 12 different, 12 different narcotics that I was taking back to college with me truth is i think i only recognize the volume and the quaalude so you worry about naming them i think a lot of our audience may not even recognize some of those yeah um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> so at what age were you exactly again i think i missed it when you were stealing these I, this started when i was about 19 20 and i was i was i went to ball state I'd come home on the weekends, restock, you know, I'd re-up. Everybody knows what re-upping is. Yeah, I'd re-up, i go back to college. And I, I didn't I didn't take these medications. Well, I should say just dope. I, I didn't, I only did this on weekends all through college. Just as, well, during the week, I'd take some of the stimulants so I could stay up and study for finals. Uh, and then, of course, I would take the, uh, the barbiturates to help me come down <clears throat> from the stimulants. And that got to be kind of a roller coaster thing, but I never felt that I was addicted to anything. This was all recreational use because when I eventually quit taking everything, uh, when I started working, I never went through any kind of withdrawal or craving or anything. So this was, this was, the, it was the start of something, but, uh, I can't say I was addictively using just recreational at this point. Because when I started working as an RN, uh, I, I quit everything. How were your grades and things like that in high school? How was your education side of your life going? Uh, A's, B's, and C's, pretty much just a B average. Okay. So you did pretty well. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, I did okay in high school, and I was pretty much a B average in, in college, too. Okay. And you went there, I guess, is, is there a major in nursing? I forget. I don't know how that works in college. Yeah, it, it, I have a Bachelor of Science degree in biology. And okay, also cool. Nursing. Cool. That's yeah. great. So after you get out of college, your first job, was that nursing right out of college? Yes. Yeah. I worked at Ball State for two years. So you went from partying 
all the time to then you just quit cold turkey with no withdrawals? No, no, not from the medications, but I was drinking a couple drinks a night. When I, I worked second shift and I would drink two big screwdrivers when I got off work. And I did this every night. So you went off the drugs and started with the booze, basically. Yeah. yeah. Was there a reason you started drinking? Uh, just to relax and help me get to sleep at night. And that was it from the very start. You think it was just basically for that yeah. reason only? Yeah. The... And I felt like I had to have some kind of substance to help me sleep. I do have insomnia and I've always depended on something to help me get to sleep. Even when you were very young, were you given things? No, no, not until I was, uh, not until I was but around 20. Okay. So how was your life then as a nurse? Uh, it was good. It was good. Um, you know, I, I was very successful. I quickly worked my way up to charge nurse, which was pretty much my, um, I don't know, my job description all through my nursing career. I was always in charge. And for a couple of years, I was actually an assistant unit manager at St. John's, which is a hospital here in town. Um, so I, I had a pretty good career, you know, of it. Never got into any trouble at work. Never, never used, never went in to work uh, high or anything. My addiction did not really kick in until I finally retired. And I did retire early on disability. So I guess you were what we call a functioning addict. Yes. Well, yeah, I, I, I pretty much quit all substances except for some alcohol. Uh, I would drink when I got off work. Um, and then in 2001, I applied for disability because of depression and some major back problems. I was granted disability and because uh, I didn't work. I, I worked just a, for a year after 95 when I left the hospital. Um, and that's when my addiction really took off was in 95. Now, I've been asking you about different relationships and aspects of your life. How, how have friendships been throughout your life? I know you said you have three best friends, but I mean, you, usually people have a different change of friends when they go to college. You might make new ones at work and things like that. How are yeah. overall, as you got older, besides those three friends, how are your personal relationships with people? Well, when I when I was using, uh, they would end badly. Um, I would snap on people real easy. Uh, a lot of relationships that were they were very superficial, and uh, I would just I'd snap on people real easy and just be done with them. Give me an example of what do you mean by snapping on someone? Well, uh, if, if I felt that they did something wrong to me, they said something behind my back, I would just come unglued and just write them off, tell them off and be done with them. That happened about three or four times over 
about a 10 year period with people I thought had my back and they did not. Um, I just, I overreacted to what people said about me. Um, because, because of my, my addiction, I would, I would just, I'd snap real easy when I was high. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I can't explain why I did that. Uh, but I just, the drugs just made me have crazy at times. So it's hard maintaining other personal relationships. And, and that's also part of being a borderline too is maintaining healthy relationships. Yeah, I think I've read that because I actually did some research on it myself because I thought that I might have. I thought the doctors were misdiagnosing me, but you know, obviously I have to trust them. I'm on a good set of medications now that seem to be working for me. I was diagnosed bipolar. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So I know what it feels like to be up and down kind of in your mental state that you lose a lot of friends. I've lost a lot of friends. Yeah. 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 Well, I've lost, I only have two brothers left out of my, out of family of six. And, um, you know, due to death, my parents are dead and I lost a brother in a plane wreck and they pretty much are done with me. I burnt my bridges with them. And so I have no blood relatives except my son. My son's been with me the whole time. So what'd you do to burn those bridges? What happened? My, I kept relapsing and going, burnt, going through money. Um, I was, I was arrested um, and sent to prison for 16 months. And, um, my my two brothers just they'd had enough because I do I I was probably in treatment I was in treatment centers uh, EOP IOP different programs about twelve times. What did you actually um, when you went to jail for sixteen months? What was your crime? Well, reckless homicide. My best friend overdosed and died in my house, and they blamed me for it. I went to court. And was I, I, I took a plea agreement because uh, I had two level fives and a level six, reckless homicide, felony intimidation, and um, dealing, which I've never dealt in my life. But they got me on a dealing charge because I did admit purchasing the drugs. Well, she died. What they said was an overdose on meth which meth was never one of my drugs of choice. Why I bought it, I don't know. But we smoked it, and eight hours later, she was still awake, still alive. She laid down at 7.30 in the morning, and then by 10.30, she was, she was dead. When I discovered her, I did CPR on her. I called 911, did everything I could do to save her, because I know CPR being a nurse, and uh, that wasn't good enough, so I was found guilty of reckless homicide. And the prosecution was going to, they wanted to up the, mur up the uh, enhance the charges to include a level of murder, which would have landed me in prison until I died. So the plea agreement was two year, a two-year cap. Two years uh, DOC, two years probation. 
so I took the plea because I was scared I would be sentenced by a jury for 30, 40, 50 years. That must, have been very, that must have been very scary for you. Very traumatic. I developed PTSD because of it. And now I'm facing a $300,000 civil suit for wrongful death. How long ago did all this happen? Uh, she, my best friend died uh, in, in uh, 2017. So this is and recent. I'm sorry. So this is pretty recent. Yeah. yeah. And then I was arrested and sent to prison in 2019. So you're recently out? Uh, yeah, I was released in August of 20. Okay, so you've been out a few years. Yeah. So what was it like, if you don't mind me asking, being in jail? Uh, well, I liked jail better than I did prison, to be honest. I wasn't in jail that long before I got sent to, uh, sent to prison. Um, but being in prison was horrible. I have never been treated so badly in my life. What kind I mean, of stuff would happen? Uh, they just, the guards would just, they, they were demeaning. They would belittle you. They'd yell at you, hmm. if you if you you know looked at them the wrong way. Um, they'd have shakedowns. They would tear all your stuff out of your locker, throw it on your bed. They'd strip your bed, and um, just just they just no respect. You know they just disrespected you, and you are you know you're a ward of the state. You know the state basically owned you, and they just. They were just awful. I just, you know, be, being older, I guess, I thought maybe I'd be treated with a little more respect. No one. But I just basically didn't want to die in prison. So that's why I took the plea agreement. Yeah, that's, I would have done the same exact thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I can, you know, summarizing, I can say drugs have pretty much ruined my life because I'm going to have this, this civil suit. Uh, the judgment's going to be hanging over my head the rest of my life. And I'm a felon. You know, I ha I, I've lost certain rights. It's hard for me to find a place to live. Uh, it's, what, type, what type of rights have you lost? Well, finding a place to live, for one thing. I'm still, I'm still on uh, three-fourths. You know, I'm in a three-quarter way house. What does that mean exactly? Well, it's it's the uh, the owner of the program that I graduated from has bought up rental properties and he's leasing them to the graduates of the program. And I'm in one of those. So we're still subject to um, urine screens and we're still expected to go to meetings. So it's kind so, of like a sober house. Exactly. Yeah, that's basically what it is. Yeah. Do you find that to be a good thing for you? Yes. It's something that I'm gonna I'm gonna be staying here for a while only because it's affordable. Because I'm on limited income. Yeah. You know, security's all I get. So yeah, I'll be here a while. Is it a comfortable living there? 
Yeah, yeah. Just a, just a little tiny little house I'm renting with another graduate, and it's okay. I don't mind it at all. I, uh, I, I've been kind of spoiled in the past. I've always had, you know, extra money, and I've, I've had a nice house with swimming pools, and I've learned to give that up. I've learned that that's not the important thing in life anymore. So I've learned, learned to deal with a lot less or, you know, I don't need all that stuff anymore. Yeah. I mean, to be content in life is a nice thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you said your drug use took off once you retired. Tell us. Yeah. Was there anything that you thought might have kicked that off? Or like you said, it was just because you were trying to go to sleep. I mean, obviously it had to be more than that. In 95, I had, uh, my husband and I were getting divorced. So I moved in with my mother and I had, I had a terrible kidney infection, a lot of back pain. My mom gave me two 7.5 Lortabs. And I can actually pinpoint those as the beginning of my downfall. I'd what love the worst apps. Hydrocodone. Okay. Okay. And um, she gave me two of those. And from that day forward, I was off and running. I loved the way they made me feel. They gave me energy. And I just was started eating pain pills from that day forward. Um, I was stealing them off of her. I was going out, you know, finding people that had them for sale. I was buying them up. Um, I was up to, I, I got myself up to eating, uh, let's see, how many was I taking a day? About 40 to 50 a day. 40 to 50? Oh, yeah. Easy. Wow. And then I switched over to Oxycontin. And I was eating probably about 10 80s a day. And then I discovered someone taught me how to cook them down and start shooting them. That was a huge mistake because once I started banging dope, it was on. And then my mother started getting fentanyl patches with the gel in them, not the cloth ones that they have now, but just pure, straight up fentanyl gel. I was taking the gel, putting it in a little cup, little like a Petri dish, mixing it with a little water and shooting that. Um, I started out, I could make a 25 uh, microgram patch last me for three days. Within six months of that, and this is going to blow your mind, I was up to doing 300 micrograms per shot, and I was doing this four times a day. So that's 1,200 micrograms a day. That's $1,200 a day because each 100 microgram patch was a hundred dollars where'd you get all the money from i had a trust fund at the time which is now gone because i went through it just lickety split 
Wow, it's amazing how quickly you can go through money. I mean, that's a huge, huge habit. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I do everything to excess, and it's amazing that I just didn't overdose. Yeah, I mean, because you're 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 trying to, I guess you say, make feel like you made it safer with fentanyl patches versus the other stuff. Yeah. How did you know what dose to give you without killing yourself? Because so many people, so many people are dying from fentanyl. Even it's not like just the ones that buy something laced with fentanyl. People who are knowingly taking fentanyl misdose all the time and kill themselves. Well, th th I was using fentanyl before the car fentanyl. The powder fentanyl had hit hit the streets. This was this was back in. Let's see, my my I finally did overdose in 2014, and because it was a suicide attempt, and I almost got it done. Um, I don't. I blacked out. I went driving around looking for more fentanyl. Uh, apparently, I found found some more. I don't remember. I got pulled over by the police and he took me straight to the hospital where I proceeded to OD and uh, wound up in ICU for seven days on a ventilator um, and woke up and I had open wounds from the abscesses. I had two of them. They had suction on them. Um, after the hospital, I went to a nursing home for six weeks because of the wounds. And that, that got me off the opiates. Let me ask you this. Where did you find people to buy it illegally? Uh, I, had, I had an acquaintance. I'm not calling her a friend. I had an acquaintance that was just getting them somewhere. I don't know. I was, I was paying her $1,200 a day for a while. She was getting me 12 patches a day. And what what are pat what are fentanyl patches meant for? Is that is that meant for pain patients? Yes, yeah, they they were back then. I mean, they were given out more freely than they are now. They they were primarily used for hospice patients, you know, for pain. But a hundred patch is still an awful lot. Now, if I would do just one one hundred patch now, it overdosed me. A hundred would, would kill someone. And I was doing 1,200 of that a day. And then it got to the point where I wasn't even getting high off of that. That was something, it was something I had to do to keep the withdrawal at bay. But the, ab, the abscesses I got, the cotton fever, the abscesses were horrendous. Because I didn't care, I wasn't. Clean, I wasn't even clean, cleaning my my rigs out. I just was using one rig, the same rig over and over again. You God talking about your needle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, got Hep C too during all this, and uh, I've since been cured. Uh, I qualified for the uh, treatment, so I've been cured off of that. It's been a battle. It's been a struggle. Oh, and also during this time, I was also abusing Xanax, taking a lot, taking about 10 to 12 a day. Wow, and you were mixing that with the fentanyl? Uh-huh. Yep. 
I mean, I used to take Xanax and Klonopin with like Oxycontin and stuff or Percocets, but ne I never, I'm lucky that I never got up to the level of fentanyl. I know that stuff is, it's a, like I said before, it's a killer. It's a killer. Yeah, yeah, it is not. Car <laughs> fentanyl is a thousand times stronger than regular fentanyl. It's crazy. So I guess in a way I was blessed that I got my fentanyl uh, addiction done and over with before this new stuff hit the streets. Because yeah, I'd be dead. So, so at what point did you, oh, I'm sorry, you go first. No, I, sorry, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> I was going to say, at what point in your life did you know that you had a problem where you sat there and consciously said, wow, I am a drug addict. I need help. In 2001, when I was just doing pills, um, when I was up to about 60 a day, I knew I had a problem. Um, I was married, <clears throat> excuse me, married at the time to my second husband. And it was so hard. I called my mom over and my husband was there. And of course, my child was there, but he was only four. And I had to admit to them that I had a problem and I needed treatment. So I went into the Anderson Center, which is just uh, really not a good place to go. I detoxed there for five days. And then I went to Terror Treatment Center in Franklin for three months. Well, I got out and I didn't stay, didn't stay clean very long. I was back at it within three months. How long were you in active addiction again before you went to treatment? Or did you ever go back to treatment? Yes, I went back again. Um, I went to the Anderson Center was inpatient there for about five or six days. And then I did their IOP. And I think that's the time I was going, coming into IOP high. Before, the, before I had to screen, do a urine screen, I finally, I admitted to them that I was using. I couldn't stay clean for more than about three months at a time. So what is the, what is your current sobriety date? When was the last time you used? April 13th of 19. I've been clean. It'll be three years. This April 13th. Going back just a moment. What was your IOP like? I've never, I never did that because when I got released from rehab, it was the middle of COVID. So everything was shut down. Uh-huh. What was your experience here? Do you think that helped you a lot? It did initially, but I'm one of those that would get real complacent. I got really bored. I got complacent in my recovery. Um, and I had this one, I can't really call her a friend, but yeah, she was. She was my dealer. I kept going back to her thinking that I had the strength to stay away from the pills because that's what she primarily dealt in was pills. I kept going back to her after I would get clean and within, you know, two or three months, I was back to taking pills again. Um, this time around, uh, I knew I could not go back and see her again ever. 
never. She, you know, I had to eliminate her among other people. But being in prison, she, her mother died. She got kicked out of the house she was living in. It was her mom's. And I have no idea where she is. I don't have her phone number. My, while I was in prison, my condo got broken into, got trashed, got stuff stolen. My car got stolen. My phone got stolen. Um, and the police closed, uh, closed up the case and they will not reopen it. So I lost, I lost everything. Um, so yeah, I, you could say I really hit my rock bottom. <clears throat> Why the police wouldn't open the case? They figured, you know, well, she's, she's a prisoner. She's a convict. You know, she ain't worth it. That's what I, the police around here are terrible. They are, you know, they're dirty. Uh, you know, they're, they're bad. I'm not saying all cops are bad because the one that stopped me and took me into the hospital in 14 saved my life. There are good ones out there, and I'm not saying all of them are bad, but there are some, there's some dirty cops in this town. Anyway, I'm not gonna, I'm not here to, to bash the police. Uh, no, I, it's part, it's part of your story. Now, whatever you need to say, you say it. Yeah. We've all got part of our story, and like you said, there are plenty of good cops, but there's also plenty of bad cops. That's just life. You know what I right. mean? You're, no, nobody's perfect. Anybody doesn't matter what you do for a living. Right. Right. Exactly. So, what's life like for you nowadays? Uh, much better. Um, I ha I I was able to buy another car. Uh, I have a roof over my head. I got food in the fridge. I'm able to pay most of my bills. I got a little money in the bank, and by God's grace and one day at a time, I'm still clean and sober. I'm grateful for what I have. And um, I'm trying to live in the moment instead of regretting the past and um, future tripping about tomorrow. I just try to do what I can do for the day. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, I have sponsored people in the past. I don't have a good track record because it seems like they either move out of halfway house or, uh, well, that, that's most of the cases. They, they've just quit the program and moved out. Um, I still want to sponsor people. Um, I've done my leads a couple of times. In fact, I think the program owner is wanting me to do another lead because they've got a whole new group of people in the program um you mean so, lead the group session just give a lead give my lead like what i'm kind of doing now in front of oh, I, i've never heard that term you mean telling your story yeah yeah i've never i've never heard that term Are, before. Give, give them my lead no i've never heard that before yeah it's called giving a lead it's where you know you have so much sobriety and you go in and you just tell your story to the people to give them a little experience strength and hope yeah yeah no when we do meetings we just call them speaker meetings well, basically, yeah, that's what yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I never heard that before. Yeah. So you do. So you do a lot of leading. That's good. To, that's one thing that I think we also we should realize as addicts is that giving back really helps keep us sober. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the uh, one of the big three in recovery is giving back. Giving back what was so freely given to us. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I'm glad to hear you're doing well. My last question for you is, do you have any advice for people who might be listening that are still stuck in active addiction? That there is hope and recovery is possible. Don't ever give up. Keep trying, keep trying. I was in active addiction for almost 25 years and I finally got it. Um, do not let that deter you. Um, life's beautiful. Life's so much better now that I'm clean and I've been clean for almost three years. Reach out, get help. There's recovery places everywhere. Um, just, just get help before it's too late. That's great. That is absolutely great. I think you did fantastic today. Thank you. But, yeah. So I think it's a good place to end it. So for everybody listening, if you like what you heard, go down below and subscribe. Also give us a like. Um, as far as social media, we're on Facebook. We have a group and a page. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, um, a couple other platforms. Go to our Facebook group. Under the events tab, you will find some Zoom meetings and the schedule for that, which I think you guys should try and attend. It's a daily thing we do. And until next time, that's all we have for today. Thank you.